This talk was given by Jean Saysen Lewis at the Zen Center of New York City. Saysen is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. And I hope you all had an awesome Thanksgiving. I know I did. Um, I've been reflecting recently, I guess it's the time of year, um, that I often compile a lot of lists. And uh, along with my usual daily to-do list, which never seems to get any shorter, and um, then there's my holiday shopping list, um, and the things I'd really like to get done before the end of the year, but probably won't list. And um, I have a book, a list of books that I want to read over the holidays and things that I want to do. I also have a criticism, complaint, and judgment list um, that I notice. I, I don't write this one down, uh, but I do notice that it pops up from time to time in my mind. And uh, at the moment, it goes something like, I can't believe it's so cold all of a sudden. Where did the summer go? <laughs> I really don't like winter. So while each of my lists might inspire a host of different emotions, uh, for example, my holiday shopping list uh, invokes a mis- mixture of delight at finding and selecting just the right gift for someone that I love, Um, and dread at the thought of navigating stores packed full of desperate last-minute shoppers, um, having missed the deadline for online shopping and shipping again. Um, There is one list, though, that never fails to inspire and cultivate joy, and that is my gratitude list. And lately I've been considering and reflecting on how gratitude can enrich my Buddhist practice and be of benefit to others. Um, So I've called this talk, The Practice of Giving Thanks. Um, So here are some of the things that I've added to my gratitude list during my recent ruminations. Um, First, so that I can take winter off of my complaint list, Um, I am grateful for the fresh, cold air, the crunch of snow under my boots. This is, I live upstate. Uh, We have a lot more snow up there. I'm grateful for hot chocolate with mini marshmallows and warm fires, wood wood stove fires. Um, I'm grateful to have enough nutritious food to eat and a roof over my head and a homey, warm place to live. I'm grateful to be able to live upstate, so close to the monastery and my teachers and the sangha and so many supportive great friends. I'm grateful for the mountains that never fail to inspire and delight me, whatever the season, and for the chipmunks and the squirrels and the bears that go out of their way to keep me amused with their antics. And I'm especially grateful that last month I got to go on a Buddhist pilgrimage to India and Nepal with my teacher Shugen Roshi 
and Hojun Sensei and a whole lot of my Dharma sisters and brothers from here and from New Zealand. So I got to catch up with my old Sangha friends from New Zealand where I lived for 25 years. Um, So throughout our visits to many important Buddhist sites, I clearly felt the presence of the Buddha and also Mahapajapati, who, ha- who was to become the founder of the first order of Buddhist nuns. We actually stood in the place where Mahapajapati arrived in Vaishali with 500 f- followers, their feet swollen, tired, and tearful. These were women who so wanted to be part of the Sangha that they shaved their heads, put on saffron robes, and walked 150 miles in bare feet to beseech the Buddha to admit them into the society of Buddhist monastics. With the help of Buddha's attendant, Ananda, they finally convinced the Buddha to ordain them. I too felt their joy and relief, their exhaustion. It must have been terrible. I celebrated their victory right alongside of them and felt deep gratitude for their perseverance and dedication to the Dharma, which has influenced generations of women to come. The stories and the places that I've heard and read about for decades came alive for me in a way that I never could have expected. So thank you everyone, past and present, who made that journey possible for me. I'm grateful to be alive. As Al Pacino's character in Scarface said, every day above ground is a good day. (laughs) And if I don't pick and choose, every day truly is a good day. I'm grateful to a friend of mine who went away to study internationally and left her little dog behind to take care of me. Um, Sydney does an excellent job of keeping me company and making sure I get enough walks every day. And I'm, I'm grateful to another friend who's looking after her so that I can be here. So in order to get here to the Fire Lotus Temple, yesterday I left my warm, cozy home and got into my car. It's nothing flash, but I'm grateful that I can afford to own a car at all. And when I remember that a whole team of engineers, designers, assemblers, mechanics, administrators, even investors, conspired to make that car available, reliable, and safe for me to drive. I'm even more amazed and grateful. So I drove to the train station, and I'm grateful to all the other drivers who paid attention and drove safely so I could get there in one piece. And I'm grateful to the steel workers who produced the steel to make my car, and the trains that I traveled on. It's a hot, dirty, grueling job, and their labors and those of a thousand others helped me to get here. So thank you to everyone who made the trains and laid the tracks. Thank you to the drivers and the conductors. My ride was very comfortable because of your efforts. On the train, I spent some time looking out the window admiring the view of the Hudson River, the trees, the mountains, and I'm grateful for this great earth. 
She astounds me with her beauty, and she supports my life so willingly. I'm grateful for my eyes and all my senses. My eyes are able to see and take in the world and all there is to see and enjoy. While on the train, I did some preparation for this talk, and I'm grateful to those who made my pen and the paper that I wrote on. I could not have written the words, well, without words. Where did language come from? I'm grateful to our ancestors, who many millennia ago created language, and to those who developed and refined it through the ages, so that I can sit here in this wonderful temple with a rich toolbox of words to communicate with you today. And of course, without the Dharma, my speech and my words would have little meaning or inspiration for any of us. I could go on indefinitely. You know, interdependence knows no bounds. And because interdependence knows no bounds, we can never run out of reasons to be grateful. And here's one last addition to the list. I'm grateful to each one of you um, for being here and practicing with me this morning. It's so much fun, more fun to do it together. And it's a lot stronger, too. We, we really do support each other when we practice together. Um, some of you may be familiar with the Lojong or mind training teachings. For those who are new, Lojong practice is a powerful method of opening the heart and cultivating compassion. The training has been organized into 59 slogans. They're pithy statements, short statements that go right to the heart of the particular teaching. Um, that the slogan is addressing. So number 13 is, be grateful to everyone. In his book, Training in Compassion, Zen Teachings on the Practice of Lojong, Norman Fisher writes about how dependent we are on everyone and everything for our survival and our well-being. That the idea of an independent, isolated, atomized person is just impossible. He writes, This is what non-self or emptiness means in Buddhist teaching, that there is no such thing as an isolated individual. Literally, every thought in our minds, every emotion that we feel, every word that comes out of our mouth Every material sustenance we need to get through the day comes through the kindness of and the interaction with others. And not only other people, but non-humans too. Literally, the whole of the earth, the soil, the sky, the trees, the air we breathe, the water we drink, we not only depend on all of this, we are all of it, and it is us. This is no theory, no poetic religious teaching. It is simply the bald fact of the matter. So to practice be grateful to everyone is to train in this profound understanding. It is to cultivate every day this sense of gratitude 
the happiest of all attitudes. He then goes on to say, and I really like this, unhappiness and gratitude simply cannot exist in the same moment. Can we take that in? When we bow, when we put our hands into gasho and we bow, we are expressing our gratitude. And if we really engage that, we can feel that happiness and that gratitude welling up within us. So try it, you know, try to really, really put yourself into it and see what happens. But like anything else, gratitude can be used for selfish ends. Now, I receive a lot of emails from businesses around Thanksgiving. I mean, there's Black Friday and there's Cyber Monday and whatever. But on Thanksgiving Day, I get a lot of emails, and um, I'm sure you do too. And some of them feel sincere and heartfelt when I read them. I can see that the writer has reflected on the many blessings that they have to be grateful about. Um, And it usually includes me as their customer. And it feels genuine enough. Uh, With others, it's really obvious that it's just a manipulative marketing ploy. There are also employers. And I read about this. I'm in business. I read about, you know... um, advice to employers and and they're they're told to express gratitude to their employees with the sole purpose of manipulating them into being more productive when gratitude isn't sincere we see through it pretty quickly i mean these are blatant examples of misuse of the expression of gratitude uh, but what about our own intentions Are we giving gratitude freely, or are we subtly expecting something in return? We need to be mindful of our intention when we express gratitude. Expressing gratitude is a gift that we give to others. And like any act of generosity, if we expect something back in return, it's no longer a gift but an exchange. When we express our gratitude mindfully, it is purely to celebrate the way that our lives have been enriched by others. That's it. That's all there needs to be. I came across this quote by oft-quoted inspirational poet by the name of William Arthur Ward, and I was quite taken by it. Uh, He wrote... Feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. So every day we experience small and large acts of kindness by others. And how often do we pause and remember both to feel our gratitude and to take the opportunity to be generous and give give it back to someone? In Zazen, we practice paying attention to the moments of our life. We can practice deepening our experience of gratitude using the mindfulness and awareness that we develop in our Zazen. And we can also learn to express our gratitude more skillfully. There are techniques we can learn. So in his book, Nonviolent Communication, Marshall B. Rosenberg clearly distinguishes 
three components in the expression of gratitude. So first, we identify the actions that have contributed to our well-being. And then we look at the particular needs of ours that have been fulfilled by that action. And then we, we feel the pleasurable feelings that, engendered, that are engendered by the fulfillment of those needs. So he goes on to say, the sequence of these ingredients may vary. Sometimes all three can be conveyed with a smile and a simple thank you. However, if we want to ensure that our appreciation has been fully received, it is valuable to develop the eloquence to express all three components verbally. So in addition to developing this verbal eloquence, I would like to add that we first need to practice mindfulness so that we are clear about what what it is that we want to express. So for example, before we can even consider expressing gratitude, we need to be mindful of the actions that have contributed to our well-being. How often are we so caught up in our own thoughts and dramas that we just don't notice when someone, usually someone very close to us, um, performs a small act of kindness towards us? Or if we do notice, do we forget to pause and really feel our gratitude? Are we mindful that expressing our gratitude is a generous thing to do, a way of offering a small gift? Or do we simply let it pass and go on with our usual thoughts and dramas? Gratitude is something that we can practice and cultivate. Everything that comes into our and out of our lives is an offering. Every moment of our lives is an offering. When we reflect on this and on our interdependence with everything, gratitude arises sincerely and naturally. We become mindful that we are not alone. Everyone and everything has contributed to our well-being. Once we have identified an action that we want to celebrate by expressing our gratitude, we can then consider the second component, the particular needs of ours that have been fulfilled. If we haven't trained our minds to be aware of our needs, this step could be challenging. So I'm going to talk about some of the basic needs that we all share um, for those who need a little help with that one. Our most basic need is for physical nurturance. We need air, food, water, shelter, movement and exercise, and protection from life-threatening insects and animals. We have interdependent needs that can be overlooked in our society where the myth of independence uh, and competition are valued so highly. Nevertheless, we do need to feel acceptance, appreciation, closeness to others, community, emotional safety, love, respect, support, trust, understanding, and warmth. Despite or 
Perhaps because of our interdependence, we also need the autonomy to choose our own dreams, goals, and values, to choose and follow our own individual path. This is why Buddhism doesn't proselytize. There is an acknowledgement that we each are 100% responsible for our own path. When the Buddha was nearing his parinirvana, his death, he famously urged us, Be lamps unto yourselves, rely on yourselves, and do not rely on external help. Hold fast to the truth. Seek salvation alone in the truth. Because we have the support of everyone and everything that ever existed and will ever exist, we can be lamps unto ourselves. We need to celebrate and mourn life's passages. We have needs for meaning and creativity to play and to have fun. We have a need for spiritual communion, peace, harmony, and inspiration, which is why most of us, if not all of us, are here today. So the third component, we can now ident- we can identify how we feel when this action that, we, that we've seen contributes to our well-being and fulfills our needs. Are we touched? Inspired, amazed, joyous, relieved, hopeful? Are we feeling comfortable now that our partner stoked up the fire in the wood stove, having seen our need for warmth? Are we moved by a friend's offer of emotional support when we are suffering a loss? Are we inspired by a podcast a Sangha member sent us the link to that contributed not only to our need for spiritual communion, but also our need for community. At this point, you may be saying to yourself, this is far too much work. (laughs) It's too complicated. Can't I just smile and say thank you? Well, yes, of course you can. Um, This is just one way that we can cultivate and deepen our practice of gratitude. We do it when it feels right and it's joyful, and we feel the urge to give. If it feels like a burden, it kind of defeats the purpose. So like anything else we practice, if we stay with it, uh, after a while it does become easier. So how might we put this into practice? Here's an example. So as I mentioned earlier, in order to be here today, I had to find somebody to look after my dog for a couple of days. So when a friend emailed me that he was available and happy to do it, I almost responded to his message with a simple thank you. Then I stopped and I said to myself, here's an opportunity to actually practice what you've been speaking about. So instead, I wrote, I was so happy and relieved when I got your email. I really needed someone to care for the pup this weekend so that I could go to the temple. It seems like everyone is away or sick at the moment, and I really appreciate your generous offer to help. Knowing that she will be cared for with your usual love and attention, 
I can rest now and concentrate on preparing my talk. So which email would you rather receive? (laughs) I think it's such a small thing that we can do for others, and, and yet it means so much to people when they when they feel, when they receive something, uh, some heartfelt gratitude. In the Lojong training, mind training though, uh, slogan number 13 is, be generous to everyone. (laughs) So far, we've only looked at situation where it's relatively easy to be grateful. The slogan though says, be grateful to everyone, not just the people you love, or the ones who are nice to you? What about the people who have harmed us, intentionally or otherwise, or who have treated us unfairly? People we don't like very much. When the Buddha was 80 years old, he embarked on a 125-mile walk from Vaishali to Kusanagar. Along the way, he was offered a meal by a blacksmith that he accepted and he ate with gratitude. Immediately after taking the meal, the Buddha took violently ill, but he insisted on continuing to Kusanagar, where he ultimately died. Although he was in much pain, he was dying and he knew he was dying. He had announced it to the Sangha. The Buddha showed great kindness and gratitude in taking the time to comfort Kunda, the layperson who had provided his last meal. The Buddha went out of his way to try and reduce any guilt felt by Kunda. And before leaving, the Buddha again expressed his gratitude to Kunda and stressed to his attendant, Ananda, that whatever happened, Kunda should not be criticized for providing tainted food. Now here was a man who had made a terrible, terrible mistake. And yet, the Buddha, even though that mistake cost him his life, he still practiced gratitude. He still wanted no harm to come to Kunda. Tralag Kabgon Rinpoche writes, There will always appear to be circumstances, situations, and people that create difficulties and obstacles for us. This slogan, be grateful to everyone, specifically instructs us to think about the kindness of others when we are confronted with negative situations. Remembering that we only mature spiritually and psychologically when we are tested. We should endeavor to think good thoughts about people who have in fact made our lives quite difficult at times and try to turn these negative situations to our own spiritual advantage so that we become wiser and stronger. Now this does not mean that we should remain in and endure abusive situations or that we should become a doormat for the sake of attaining spiritual development. It is simply saying that when difficulties arrive, which they inevitably will, we have a choice of how we frame them to ourselves. 
we can open up the possibility of learning something from our difficulties by asking, how can I practice this with gratitude in a way and in a way that will benefit all? Or can we choose to add yet another item to our criticism, complaint, and judgment list? Shantideva says it this way, So, like a treasure found at home, enriching me without fatigue, all my enemies are helpers in my bodhisattva work, and therefore should be a joy to me. When someone does something we see as being reprehensible, instead of judging and blaming that person, we can look at our own behavior and vow not to imitate their actions. With a little more introspection, we may even see that we have behaved in much the same way in the past and found a way to excuse and justify our actions. We don't excuse and justify other people, but we often do that for ourselves. Um, Pema Chodron says, The troublemakers in our lives harm themselves, but benefit us by provoking us to practice patience. We can be grateful to whomever or whatever shows us that we're still provocable. In any given situation, Whoever justifies getting enraged loses, and whoever uses that same situation to develop tolerance wins. If we're in the habit of complaining and judging about things, in the stillness of Zazen, we may very well be shocked to discover that our criticism, complaint, judgment list is actually quite a long one. For example, a while ago, I visited someone that I hadn't seen for a long time, and I asked him how various mutual friends were doing. One by one, he criticized each of them and complained about how they were letting him down. Finally, I interrupted him and said, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. I asked you for news of my friends, and what I'm hearing is a list of how each one has failed to live up to your standards or meet your expectation. What's going on? Well, of course, I knew exactly what was going on. I had sat with those very same judgmental voices in my head, critical voices, on my cushion for more years than I cared to admit. Very early on in my practice of Zen in New Zealand, there was a major disruption to the harmony of our Sangha. Many of us were complaining about, complaining about and judging a particular person who we felt was the sole cause of the disharmony, and I was one of those people complaining and judging. In the midst of it all, I never once heard Daido Roshi say anything negative about this person. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, he's really good. What self-control he has. I mean, I just assumed that he was thinking the same judgmental thoughts that I was, and that he was just better at containing them and keeping them to himself and not saying, voicing them. 
So the next year when Daido Roshi came back, we still hadn't resolved the disharmony and we were still criticizing and complaining and judging. And by this time, I was really curious and I started observing Daido Roshi very closely. Again, he never once, at least in my presence, uh, said anything negative about the person that we were all blaming. After a while, the penny dropped. He wasn't speaking judgmental words because judgmental thoughts weren't arising in his mind. We create karma with our thoughts, our words, and our actions, and it starts with our thoughts. In my deluded state of mind, I truly believed that I could think whatever nonsense I liked in the privacy of my own mind, as long as I didn't say or do anything stupid to give myself away. We are all mind. How could there possibly be even a notion of my own mind or the privacy of my own mind? We are all completely transparent to those who have eyes to see. And that's the good news. But looking back at the story, I realize that there are other important lessons to be gleaned from it. Um, For starters, I actually have no way of knowing what is true. Was my first impression that my teacher was thinking judgmental thoughts but doing a great job of hiding it true? Or was my epiphany that critical thoughts weren't even arising in his mind true? Maybe he was saying saying critical things. I just never happened to be there when he did. Or was it something else? These were all guesses on my part, and there are several dangers here. One is that I really wanted to idealize my teacher instead of seeing him as a human being who may very well have been thinking critical thoughts. Another danger is that I really thought I could read my teacher's mind. Based on that false false belief, I made judgments that may or may not have been true. How often do we do this with our, in our interactions with others? We create whole stories in our minds out of our false beliefs, and then we act on them. Finally, I see now that practicing gratitude and self-reflection could have helped diffuse this difficult situation. I could have looked at my own part in co-creating disharmony in the Sangha. And I could have also cultivated gratitude for the one who showed me that I was still provocable. In a sense, it really doesn't matter what the truth was regard to Daido Roshi's thoughts. If he was alive today, perhaps I could ask him. But whatever his answer might be, the truth for me is that I learned a really important lesson. We create karma with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. If we don't want to be a person who speaks and acts in critical and judgmental ways, we need to start by really paying attention to our critical and judgmental thoughts. It all comes back to examining and understanding mind. 
This is why the practice of mindfulness is so important. We see our thoughts, we acknowledge and accept them just as they are, without judgment or grasping, and then we let them go over and over again. Over time, if we cultivate the seeds of wisdom and compassion, we will grow in wisdom and compassion. Over time, if we cultivate the seeds of gratitude, we will grow in gratitude. When the Buddha was dying, and he knew that he was dying, he gave his last sermon on mindfulness. Clearly, he saw mindfulness training as his parting gift to the Sangha. I am incredibly grateful for this teaching. It has literally saved my life. And I hope that you too will take up your mindfulness practice with renewed enthusiasm and with deep, deep gratitude. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.